Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is an international star of ballroom dancing, but probably best known in Ireland for a role as the elegant judge in Dancing with the Stars TV series. It's a pleasure to welcome Lorraine Barry. Now, Lorraine, as a woman who travelled the world and had so much international success. Did you dream about that when you were a youngster growing up in Cabra? I did, as As a very young girl, probably at the age of seven, I already knew I wanted to be a ballroom dancer. And was that unusual for Cabra? Was there many friends dancing? No, not at all. At the age of six, my mother uh, was going to the shops and she said uh, to my sister and I, my sister is an older sister called Jacqueline, and she said, oh, there's dancing on behind the church. Would you like to go in the community centre? And we said yes. So we went and it was just starting up. There was a new professional dance couple there and they were just starting to see what the interest was in Cabra West for ballroom dancing. So I, were there many fellas going or was it just girls? In the beginning, I would say there were more girls. And in fact, I had a girl dancing partner and her name was Lorraine Confoy. So that was very interesting. We had two Lorraines dancing together. But then slowly you could see that some boys, now we never had majority of boys. We always had the majority of girls. But slowly boys were starting to dance. And what about your friends? If it wasn't common, did they think it was an unusual hobby? Oh, they did. They thought it was very strange, especially when I started doing competitions because you would put on a little bit of false tan. And when you'd go into school on Monday, they'd say, like, <laughs> what are you doing with all that tan on you? You know, and so they, yeah, they did. And boys who were dancing, I think they always got told, oh, it's a sissy thing and all that. But in the end, you can see there are a lot of boy dancers out there. Absolutely. And the popularity of it now has, has made it very different. So you were clearly very good at a young age. When did you start competing seriously? Seriously, I started competing round about the age of eight. So from six to eight, I was learning everything, dancing with another girl. And then at the age of eight, nine, I got the chance to dance with a boy partner and uh, started to compete. And we would go out of Ireland. So we would do all the competitions in Ireland, win them, the All-Ireland and that. And then we would venture out to the Isle of Man. There was lots of competitions going on in the Isle of Man. And then it was getting into England and doing competitions. And it it was a very good um, hobby in a way, but it became more of a hobby as I got older. It just became my, my life and a complete passion for me. And when the first time you went to the Isle of Man, were you overawed by it? 
I was. And it, so many people went. So the, we had a big congregation in Cabra West. We were all dancing. There was a huge group of us. And then in Dublin, there were lots of groups. And the groups were all belong to dance studios. And we would all go on that boat from Dublin to the Isle of Man. And we would stay a week and we'd all dance competitions. And then we had um, this, it was like a procession. And every country was represented. And so when they called Ireland out, we all walked out as, you know, behind the Irish flag as a big team. And uh, it was just so exciting. It was just the highlight of our year was to go to the Isle of Man. But for so a young boy or girl, if they wanted to be a footballer or a singer, they could see Match of the Day or Top of the Pops or something. Could you, had you any exposure to seeing the top dancers? No, nothing at all. Not in the beginning in Dublin, no. It was later on when Come Dancing became uh, visual on BBC that um, people could start to see ballroom dancing. But having said that, Des, that didn't come on until 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't aimed at children. That's right. And so you're, you're now going to compete in the British Championships, the Youth Amateur Championships. Yes. I'd imagine that was very competitive. Oh, very competitive and still is today because the British Championships, it's better than a world championship. And the reason being is, is that the entry for that British Open title is open to anybody and everybody in the world. Whereas to go and do a world championship many years ago, you had to be selected by the country and only two couples could go and represent. So there was there was always about three, four, even 500 couples competing for that one chance to win, that one trophy. Oh my God. So the notion of, of even travelling over, how often in a year as a youngster were you, were you going over? Three or four times a year? Oh, yeah, definitely three to four times a year. And my mother, uh, my father couldn't take me very much. It was always my mother. And then I do remember my mother wasn't very well. And my auntie, uh, my auntie Phyllis, she took me over um, on, a, on, on the actual jet foil. If you remember, we used to have that jet foil. And the weather was so bad. In fact, to be honest with you, I think we thought we were all going to die because it was so bad, the waves and everything. And then on the way back, I can remember it was as smooth as silk and we were all disappointed because there was no excitement of it. But that was a trip over to Blackpool and that was like the highlight again. So going over there, you just felt that you were getting a different competitive taste because it was like international. Yeah. But Lorraine, the effort your parents had to make because, you know, to fund you going and competing was, was a big effort on their part, wasn't it? It was, truly it was. And especially because my parents, um, at that time, they had three children. And then at the age of nine, then my mother had uh, another baby, my baby sister, Michelle. So um, my brother wasn't really, he liked football a little bit. So my father took, you know, time to play that with him. And then my brother got into cars. My other sister, Jacqueline, she danced. And my father was a taxi driver. So he used to work a lot um, to support the family. But my mother was a dressmaker. 
So she would work as well. But the bonus there was that my mother could make my dance dresses and my sister's dance dresses. And she also took on other girls who she could make dresses and make a little bit of money that would help towards it. So um, they were very good at managing the money and the time and and being very fair to eventually then all four children. People who, who haven't seen the dance dresses up close, it's a hell of a lot of work in those compared to making an ordinary dress. Oh, it is. It's a lot of work. And in the beginning, when you start out, you're not using the best of everything. You know, you start off with a basic dress and you're putting a few of sequins or lace on it. But then as you grow into the world of dancing, it can become even you know expensive because you want to get like the latest material or the latest trend in that. But having your mother make your dresses, that really did cut down a lot of the cost. All right. Now explain to us, Lorraine, When we get to this really competitive situation where there's, I mean, it's hard to imagine 400 competing. Explain how it works, how the judges work. Well, at the Open British, you have um, 11 judges on the floor and you will start the event by having two qualifying rounds. You'll make it through your qualifying rounds, which means that the judges have to pick about out of the 400, they reduce it to 130 From there, they'll go down to maybe 96, 96, they'll go down to 48, 48, they'll go down to 24, 24 to 12, that's your semi-final, and then they pick six, and there's there's your final. And then in that final, then they have to place the couples one to six. And how long would that, that whole process take to get from 400 down to six? It's a, it's a long day. We could start in the morning round about, 10 o'clock in the morning and finish after midnight. Oh my God. So it is a long day and they've got other competitions on at the same time. So you do get a little break in between. But uh, it is a long day because you're, you know, your adrenaline is going and it's exciting and you're waiting to see if you're in the next round. Uh, I, can, I can imagine that drama. Will we make it through and the joy when you do? And then there must be, yes. t- there must be times if you don't make it through and you feel you are better than others. Did- oh, very much so, Daz. I remember being in that Blackpool Hall and being maybe overconfident and getting ready to walk out on the floor for what was a 24 which is a quarterfinal. And I was ready to walk out and I, they didn't call my number. And we were devastated. We thought, oh, they've got it wrong. You know, we know better than anybody. And we had a conversation with our dance teacher the next day and he said, you weren't good enough. And that was a shock, um, but a good shock that really sort of made us work harder. And then you have the lonely journey home again on the boat. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. You come back either, you know, elated or you come back devastated. But it didn't last. As a child, as a a young girl growing up, you're very resilient. You know, you just take it on the chin and then you move on. Your success was significant, wasn't it? And encouraged you to turn professional. Oh, yes, very much so. Because as I got more and more into the dancing, as I said before, it, it became a passion it was uh, it was everything I wanted. I could see myself, you know, going on to win. I could see myself becoming a dance teacher. I thought the chance of getting on television with dancing, um, it just became my whole life. Uh, I didn't want another job. I wanted to be a dance teacher. OK, well, your first musical choice, Lorraine, uh, is from your early days and your youthful days. And uh, tell us about it. Tom Jones. It's Tom Jones and the song is It's Not Unusual. 
And this just played in our house because my parents loved to dance. My father, Michael, he loved Tom Jones and we would be at home and my dad would play. He put the record on an LP and uh, and he would play Tom Jones and he'd grab my mother and dance with her in the kitchen or he'd grab my sister Jacqueline or me. And uh, it was just, they were just great memories. Tom Jones, Elvis Presley. Um, I remember getting in my dad's car on the way to dancing and do you remember those big old cassettes you had to slide in? Yeah, the eight Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he used to put them in and we'd be listening to them on the way over to dancing and that, you know. So uh, so it's a it's really it's a song that in my childhood was really, really important and my dad loved him, as I said, and he used to you know, dance on his own, my dad, and gyrate the hips round and everything, you know. I can I can see him now doing it with a great big smile on his face. He loved it. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. So Lorraine a very successful career as an amateur dancer. The decision to turn professional, that's a, that's a big decision. How did that come about? It came about because the goal was to win the amateur event three times and we were very lucky to win it three times. So in 19... That's the British 80s, Championship, just to clarify. Yes, yes, the Open British Championships. We won it in 1987, 1988 and 1989. And right at the end of the festival in 1989, when they called us out as winners, we announced that night that we were turning professional. Yeah, and this was the same partner you'd had through the amateur years. Yes, yes. Andrew Sinkinson yeah. was my partner. So what does it mean when you turn professional? Obviously, you're earning money, but how does how does that change your life? Well, no, actually, that's what it did mean, Des. It meant I could now start to earn money because as an amateur in the 1980s, you were not allowed to earn money. Well, yeah. Was there a living to be made in professional dancing, Lorraine? Oh, yes, there was, because you could do a lot of demonstrations. Uh, I remember doing demonstration for Kodak. They had a Christmas party and they would invite us to go and do a demonstration. And that was £200 when I started to be professional and do these little demonstrations. So dance studios would invite you to go maybe £150. And that was a lot of money back then. And having had an amateur career where we absolutely struggled, we depended on our parents, we depended on going away to events where we would win prizes like a television, a fur coat, a watch. And we would try and sell that to anyone just to get a little bit of money in that would pay for rent, pay for electricity and pay for our dancing. That's tough. And and in terms of competition professionally, how different was it from the amateur era? The the energy felt different. It felt like a, a step up, another level, another notch up. And uh, it was more fierce. It was more competitive. You had to really improve your standard. And the lucky part about it was because when you turned professional, you were allowed to do demonstration. Those demonstrations gave you that other level up. You became more aware of an audience and you would dance more outward, whereas an amateur, you didn't quite have that experience. Were they, were they mainly British competitors you were competing with or were you on the European circuit? European, worldwide. You know, now if you look at it here, we have the greatest introduction we have is China. But when I was competing, it was everyone else except China. 
and the cost of travelling and competing internationally brings a, brings a pressure in itself, I'd imagine. Luckily, when you turn professional, for example, we, myself and Andrew, were very popular in Japan. We went to Japan when we turned professional and we were invited to go. So therefore, they would pay for an economy ticket to fly you out there. They would pay for your hotel and then you would do demonstrations. So we would receive money for, you know, travel expenses. So it really, as a professional, it really became lucrative. That was our job, but it was more than a job. It was just our passion. And, And you competed there as well, obviously. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, many, many times. We, they had a lot of great competitions. And Japan in the early, in the late 80s into the early 90s were fantastic because they had tremendous sponsorship as well. You changed partner then, Luca, in, in the 90s. Yes. And does that bring further success? Oh, yes, very much so. Because uh, with Andrew, my first partner, I was uh, three times uh, open professional, open amateur British champion with him and twice world champion. And then when I danced with Luca, I then became three times open professional British champion with him and two times world champion. So in total, I got it all. The boys only got it once, you know, and I got it in amateur and professional. And in terms of preparation for that, Lorraine, how often would you practice? Oh, you know, some people, when you ask them that question, you always think, oh, they're exaggerating. But for me, it was six days a week. We always had one day off, but sometimes that day could have been a traveling day. But it was six times a week and, you know, you could do four to six maybe seven, sometimes even eight hours dancing. And that's because you would maybe take a lesson in the morning and then you'd go and practice. It didn't go so well and you'd go back and practice again. Or you'd go in the morning and have an early morning practice, go and have a dance lesson. And then in the evening, they had a public practice and you would go there and have a public practice. And that was two hours. And that was like a mini competition in a way. Wow. Your second musical choice is linked in a way, Enya. Yes, lovely, lovely. Watermark. I'll never forget when this music came out. Obviously, Enya is Irish, but the the haunting sound of Watermark was just so beautiful. And for us as ballroom dancers, it became a waltz, but it was the slowest waltz <laughs> in the world. It really, really is slow. So... Um, One of my dance teachers uh, by the name of Richard Gleave, OBE, he asked Andrew and I, would we help him do a lecture at the Open British Dance Festival? And we were like, oh, my God, how exciting, but at the same time, so nervous. And he chose that music for us to dance. And I felt we were using our toenails to hang on because it was so slow. It was incredibly slow. And everyone, the whole dancing world is always there at those lectures watching. So it was thrilling, but at the same time, it was nerve wracking. Is that your favourite waltz? It really is. It has a fantastic sound to it. It's halting. It's got melancholy attached to it. It's so organic and it is so difficult to dance to it as well. So it's really one of my favourite waltzes. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. So Lorraine, when you listening to music, when you have the radio on, for instance, do you automatically link a particular piece of music to a dance? 
Yes, I do. Um, anything that comes on, um, you know, I'll say, oh, I could do a cha-cha to that or I could do a foxtrot to that. Uh, yes. And the other thing I do is I always tend to count the music. I'm always looking for how many bars is in it and the phrasing of it as well. So music is really a big passion for me. Now, you, your life brought you around the world, didn't it? Living in, you didn't live in Ireland for many years. No, I lived in Ireland until I was 17 and then I moved over to England uh, because I, I just knew it was all happening there. And then from England, when I then went to dance with Luca, who was originally from Italy, he then wanted to go back and live in Italy. So we went there to live. And that was a great experience because I can actually speak Italian. All right. Having never picked up a book. Just from listening. Now, I'm not perfect, but I can. I get 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 around, you know. Yeah. And then from there, I went on and I lived in America. And now I'm back living in London and visiting Dublin and Ireland very, very often now. And what, what was America like? America, I lived in Florida. It was, um, it's different. It's very big, America. And uh, we had a dance studio there and the franchise company called Arthur Murray, they approached us and asked us if we would open up a dance studio. So I went into partnership with my sister, Michelle, my youngest sister, uh, because Michelle was also an open British rising star champion. So you you had the pedigree, but was there big interest in, in Florida as well? Oh, huge. Dancing is huge in America. And uh, there was a lot of uh, dancers in America who were all opening up dance studios. So it becomes your studio becomes very much a social area where you get a lot of people coming in, wanting to learn how to do their wedding dance, wanting to do a father and daughter dance a special party, a big birthday celebration, and just in general, people who perhaps have lost their spouse wanting to come in and just interact with other people, learn how to dance, join in the group classes and make it a social event. So our dance studio, we had it for 10 years there and it was very successful. And now that you're so well known in Ireland through Dancing with the Stars, ironically not through, unfortunately, all the success you achieved, but, right. but but you see the popularity of the da- of dancing in Ireland now. I do. I'm delighted. When I got that phone call from Shinawil, uh, never forget it. It was uh, Eugenia and she said, you don't know me, but we've just heard about you. And she said, you know, we'd like you to come and audition for the show. I was, I really was excited. I was thrilled because I thought, my God, if I can get this, it would be so great for people to get to know me. Because as you rightly said, nobody knew me in Ireland. Nobody knew that Although I lived in England, I still re- I'm still Irish. I have an Irish passport. And, you know, I wanted people to know that I had gone around the world. People knew me as the Irish girl, the blue eyed girl as well. And I had won a lot. So that chance of going on for Dancing with the Stars uh, was just brilliant. Did you expect it to have the impact it's had? I think I did deep down under when I knew um, 
the, the professional dancers that we had, they're all very, very good, high level dancers. I thought the formula was looking very good. And of course, having seen Strictly for many years and Dancing with Stars in America, I thought, you know, from the past as a young girl, I knew how many people loved to dance in Ireland. My parents loved to dance in Ireland. One thing that's quite sad for me is that all the dance halls in Ireland are closed down. So there was a lot of dancing going on, you know, many years ago. A lot of people mightn't be aware, listeners mightn't be aware that Dancing with the Stars is owned by Strictly. So it's the same, uh, it's the same company same. and same structure. Exactly. And it has to be. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a franchise. The notion, though, of I, I can understand people wanting to learn to dance, you know, for their wedding and the big occasion. But it now mm-hmm. seems to, you'd know better than me. A lot of people now seem to want to dance just for pleasure, the ballroom dancing and the Latin dancing in a way they didn't previously. Yes, I think a lot of couples, they get married and they have their family and the children grow up and they leave. And then they sit and they look at each other and they think, what do we do now? And, you know, there was always perhaps that longing. Normally it's the wife. The wife always wants to say, oh, I always want to do ballroom (laughs) dancing. And my husband, isn't that right, Des? Yes, uh, I think it might be. And and so the husband's like, oh, well, to please the wife, I'll go. And they go and they realize now they're sharing something. They're having that little bit of fun together. And I think that's what really allows a lot of people to, to go dancing. And as I said before, I just wish there were more dance halls available for people to actually go out dancing on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Mm. Your third musical choice, Lorraine, is a pretty powerful piece. Katy Perry. Yes, and it's called Roar. And I remember when this song came out, you know, because life has its troubles for all of us, Mm -hmm. not just me. You know, there are the ups and the downs. And I know recently, you know, people have seen a little bit of an insight into me with another program that was on. And, you know, I had some great times and I had some bad times. And when this song Roar came out, I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is my song. You know, if you look at if you listen to the words in it, champion is in there, fighter is in there, uh, a breaking point. And all of those words resonated with me. And I really felt I took it on as an anthem. And it just got me through some difficult times because that's what you have to do. This is what life's about. It's all about experiences, good ones and bad ones. And when the bad ones come, you have to pick yourself up. And this song really helped me along the way. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Well, Lorraine, you've had huge success now. Would you be tempted to come back to Ireland permanently? You never know. I Each time I go back, Des, I always, I love to stay near the water. So this time, this year for Dancing with the Stars, I rented a little cottage down in Newtown, Mount Kennedy. And I went to Greystones Beach quite often, three, four times a week. I would go there. I really loved it, looking at all the lovely houses there and that. So you never know. I always keep, you know, all my options open. Right. Well, look, it's been lovely chatting with you today, Lorraine. Continued success to you. And thank you very much for joining us. Des, it was my pleasure. And thank you so much for thinking of me. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.